I don't think I have ever seen anything make people go as delulu as a wedding. I mean, Desi weddings especially tend to involve a lot of family, which could be the most amount of fun ever, but it could also be the most amount of drama. Today I have found a few wedding stories from real people on the internet. Get ready to put your judgmental hats on because we are going to be giving out some spicy verdicts today. Welcome to Masala Takes. Welcome to Masala Takes. This is a podcast where I share my brown girl takes on stories from the internet, as well as topics related to culture, identity, community, and human dynamics. Let's get started. All of my Reddit reaction videos are completely unscripted and candid, so this is literally what I'm thinking the moment that I am thinking it. If you like this format, definitely let me know so I can keep doing more of these. Let's get started with the first story. Am I the a-hole for telling my mom we didn't invite people to my wedding? I did? I, 31 female, am getting married in October. We are doing a very small ceremony, and originally I wanted only 25 people both due to cost and just that we wanted something more intimate. My family and my fiancé's family are located in different states. The ceremony is in neither of those states, but we have been clear that people don't have to come if the travel is too much. Despite it being a very small event, my mom has been in some sort of a craze. One thing we have been arguing about consistently is the guest list. Before you ask, yes, she is contributing to the wedding. As is my father, they're divorced, and my fiancé's father. It's not a whole lot of money as it's not a big wedding, but with those contributions, we're paying for almost nothing ourselves. My mom seems to think that by contributing to the wedding, she gets to decide who comes from her side of the family. I have been open to hearing this out, and as a result, my list has already increased from 25 to about 40. I am not trying to be close-minded, but I also feel like it's my wedding. It should be my choice. And here's where I may be the a-hole. I have gotten very sick of the arguments about guest lists. This has been going on for months and I have conceded almost every time. The other day, she texted me to ask if I invited a distant family member who lived far away that I hadn't seen or heard from in probably 10 years. I said no. She called me immediately and said that she was confused because she knew we'd talked about it and she couldn't remember where we had landed. She went on to say that she found it hard to believe that we hadn't included that distant family member as we had talked about maybe inviting him. I finally lost my composure and said no, I did not invite him because I never see or talk to him and that's what I've decided, with a very large emphasis on the eyes. She sort of scoffed and expressed confusion and I told her that she keeps saying we but that it's my wedding and I will decide. She went silent and I changed the subject. I've hardly heard from her since though she has been very busy with work. I'm wondering if I'm the a-hole because she has expressed to me that traditionally, if the parent is contributing, then they do have a say in who is invited. I told her that I understood where she was coming from, but if her contribution was conditional and came with stipulations on who I needed to invite, I don't want it. She hasn't brought that specifically, contributing to the wedding, since. I think this is really interesting, right? So I actually got married a little over eight years ago And when I got married, I was told so many times that this wedding wasn't really about me. And it kind of got to a point where I almost removed myself completely from the wedding planning process. The wedding was in India, so I, you know, didn't know a lot about the country and I hadn't really visited there and I don't speak the language. So I kind of just left it to my parents and my in-laws to figure it out between themselves. But I think what ended up happening is 
when a wedding is planned and it kind of goes out of your control, I think all the couple is left with is a little bit of resentment. Like they may have a great time. It may be a beautiful wedding, but there will always be a little bit of resentment that something happened because they lost control of the situation. And I know that if you're brown and you're listening to this, you're like, 40 people is still a small wedding. But if the original guest list was 25 and now there's 40, that's almost double. It's like at least 30, 40% more. That's like saying, oh, I have a guest list of 500 and my parents want to invite 300 more people. This is a really big amount of people when you wanted something specifically intimate. And there's so much pressure from families to invite distant family members and people who are important to them and whatever. And I just don't really think it makes sense. I do think, and I've heard this a lot, that you know when people get married, it's two families coming together. And I love the idea of a wedding being a place where those families get to come together and meet each other and interact and you know be one. Um, but I also think it's extremely important that the couple that are getting married, the ones that are starting their lives together as a family, they should be the ones deciding who they want a part of that community, a part of their community. So if you ask me my take, and I'm sure there's going to be a couple of aunties listening to this up in arms, but my take really is that the wedding, the moment that you're making that commitment should probably just be about the couple, who they want in their life, whether that's a big group or whether that's a small group, should be up to the couple. And if the parents really want to invite somebody, they should just have like a separate luncheon that they should organize and pay for and invite whoever they want to invite to meet, you know, their new son-in-law or their new daughter-in-law, whatever the situation is. Um, I've also seen this a lot where people give love and they give gifts unconditionally. Um, and of course, I'm always talking about this from a Desi lens because that's my experience. But when people give a gift and it's conditional, it doesn't become a gift anymore. It becomes some sort of barter. And when people give a gift conditionally and they expect something in return, but then they also expect gratitude, it's like a double-edged sword. And I think it just leaves people with like a bad taste in their mouth afterwards, if you know what I mean. Um, this mom is clearly giving a gift for the wedding. And because of that, she feels entitled to include people in her family. She feels entitled to planning this wedding. She feels entitled to this wedding as her own. And I think that this girl, by, you know, saying that she doesn't want the money is actually a great solution. It's a great way to say, hey, like, this is my event. And if you feel like the money is conditional, then you can keep it. It's a small wedding. I can afford it. I think especially in Indian culture or Desi culture, the idea that family is more important than anything runs really, really deep. So I have a couple of cousins who live in the States and not all of them came to my sister's wedding. And I had a conversation with an older member of the community a couple of weeks ago where they were like, their mom should have just made them come. It's their cousin. They should have been there. And it's like, they actually had no obligation to come at all, right? Like, there's no obligation for you to keep in touch with somebody just because you are related to them through your mom or through your dad. Like, if I think about my relationship with my cousins, there are cousins that I'm a lot closer to, and there are cousins that I just haven't had a relationship with. We grew up in different countries. We have different values. Maybe we just didn't have the chance to connect. And that person doesn't owe me anything. That person doesn't owe me the obligation of attending the wedding. And technically, I don't even owe that person an invite. If I have decided that I want my wedding to just be super intimate with 20 of my closest friends and family and people who have actually shown that they have been in my life. 
So yeah, I think there's a weird stigma when it comes to inviting family for weddings. And I think there's a lot of expectation. Like I got married a long time ago. It was pre-pandemic. So at that time, weddings were just big. Like there was not even an option for me as an Indian girl to have a small wedding. And I had done a reception in Canada that I had paid for entirely. And when I was organizing the reception, it was a big reception. There was 300 people. But when you've grown up in a place and you have so many friends and so much family and so much community, it becomes really hard to kind of narrow it down. So I made a very generous invite list where I said, I'm only inviting people who have either called me or talked to me directly to congratulate me for my wedding or my engagement. So people who have a direct connection with me. We also had done like a puja prayer type event the year prior where we invited a lot of the older people. So I got to exclude some of the older people. And then when it came to like people in the community, I still had to exclude people to get to that 300 number. And I remember people were like really offended, like people who I haven't talked to in years, but they had a really, they were my kindergarten teacher or they used to know me when I was a kid and they still talk to my mom when they see her at the temple. Like people like literally that had no direct relationship to me were offended to the point of like shunning my family and ignoring them because they didn't get an invite. I can see why the mom might be pressured to invite some people. One thing I recognized earlier on during the lockdowns is that you know, there's only a few people that you're truly close to. It's very easy to have a big community and people around you all the time when there's no restrictions. But the second there was some sort of barrier to that friendship, to that connection, that kind of world shrunk so much. And I think if there's anything that we should have learned out of all of that, I mean, there's a lot of things we should have learned, but I think one of the things we really should have learned is that you know, you, you, you don't owe anybody your time, you don't owe anybody your attention, and you don't owe them an invite. And if you want to have an intimate event, you should have an intimate event. And if that person doesn't want to call you in return, then you should also be okay with that consequence. So yeah, I, I think wedding invites are a touchy and messy thing, but I don't think this person is the a-hole at all. I think this person is absolutely entitled to keep her invite list to exactly who she wants her invite list to be. Let's move on to the next story. Am I the a-hole for not wanting to pay to attend a wedding? My 22 female girlfriend, 22 female, my 22 female's girlfriend, 22 female, was invited to a high school friend's 22 female wedding. Everyone's 22 female. The couple asked for cash wedding gifts only, so most guests would pay $200 while some had the option to pay $100. There were 10 available spots. Oh, so they like mandated it. That's weird. My girlfriend asked the bride if there was room for a plus one. And the bride said that she could bring me if I paid $200 for my attendance, not as a wedding gift. My girlfriend is upset with me because she went, my girlfriend is upset with me because she went through the trouble of asking the bride if it was possible and thought I would be happy with this. I didn't ask for my girlfriend to do this. My girlfriend initially told me I was invited because she assumed that she would get a plus one, but it turns out I wasn't invited and she just felt bad about it. I don't blame her, nor the couple, because weddings are expensive. It would cost the couple $200 per person for the wedding. The bride isn't happy with me now because my girlfriend told her I wanted to attend and thought it was cheap of me to only back out now that I had to pay to attend. 
My girlfriend says there is no difference between being invited to a wedding and giving a $200 wedding gift like everybody else or being invited and paying for a seat up front. Especially since I would have given the same amount as a wedding gift if I was invited initially. To me, it feels like an entrance fee that only I have to pay. Am I the a-hole for not wanting to attend this wedding because I was asked to pay? Okay, this is so bizarre. And I feel like people are just so entitled. I mean, I know that this is a culture where when you attend a wedding, you're kind of socially accepted to pay for your plate, if you will. When I got married, that amount was like $100 per person. Usually it was like $150 per couple. And I think that amount has actually gone up now because the cost of everything has gone up. And even as a gift, right? Like not even as a mandated entrance fee, even as a gift, I find that it puts so much pressure on the wedding guests to give money to attend something that a couple is essentially planning for themselves, right? And this even kind of brings me back to the point from my earlier conversation when I was talking about like inviting people that you're not that close to. I've been invited to these events of people that I'm not that close to. I'm actually invited to one in a couple of months from now. Initially, I had declined because I don't know the couple that well, but I know the couple's parents and they really wanted me there. So I'm attending. But again, I feel like if you're on a budget, if you have anything going on, if you're not able to just give $200 a person or $100 a person, it puts so much pressure and you know that people are judging you. But this, I think this post is like a new level of tacky. I mean, this might be a spicy masala take, but I even find stag and doughs. So for, for those of you who don't know what a stag and dough is, it's basically like a fundraising party to raise money for your wedding. And the people that are invited are not even necessarily invited to your wedding. I attended a stag and dough of like a friend's cousin or something back when I was an undergrad. And I found the whole event so uncomfortable. Like everyone was having fun. There was like raffles and like arcade style games and people were paying money and all of the money raised was going to go to the event and there was like finger foods and snacks but it's just like the wedding is an event it's a party um, and I feel like people should just do what they can afford to do without expecting other people to fund it and the stag and do is a very well-known concept but I feel like paying an entrance fee to a wedding like you're not sono nigam you don't need like people people are not there at your wedding because it's a privilege for them they're there because it's it's a fun event where you get to hang out with friends and you know, be there for something important for someone you care about. It shouldn't be mandated that someone pay for their plate. And if you have a wedding where it costs $200 a plate and the only way that you can afford it is if all the guests pay up front, then I feel like you just shouldn't have that wedding. Like get married in a courthouse, have a garden party, do what you can within your means. There are a lot of ways to bring friends and family together that doesn't have to cost $200 a plate if that's not within your affordability. Or you just wait, like save some money and wait if it's that important to you to have this big wedding. I just find this so tacky. I remember not too long ago, there was an email that was forwarded to me from a friend that someone sent to their work team. And I'm not talking about like their intimate work friends. They sent it to like 50 people, their entire work team saying, hey, I'm getting married in the summer. None of you are invited but here's a raffle. Can you buy some raffle tickets to help me pay for the wedding? They sent this to their office colleagues. And the reason it was shared with me is because 
they were like, is this normal? Like, is this Canadian culture? And I don't know if it's Canadian. I don't know if it's any culture. I just find that so, so tacky, especially trying to garner funds from people who are not attending your wedding or even double dipping from people who are attending your wedding. When I attend a wedding as a guest and I'm expected to pay for my plate, for myself and my partner and whoever else I'm bringing with me, I feel like that is a really big commitment, but it's also a really big expectation. One thing I actually want to hear from all of you about is what is the gift giving etiquette when you have already contributed financially to somebody's wedding? Let me know because I'm not sure. We have a wedding that's coming up and we've been to a lot of weddings in the past where we have been a part of the bridesmaid party or the groomsmen party. And when those things happen, there are just a lot of other events associated with it that end up costing a lot of money. And you end up getting like little gifts for different events like the bridal shower or the bachelorette party or the bachelor party. My husband just returned from a bachelor party in Europe, which was a couple of thousand dollars. And in these cases, is it still expected that you give a gift at the wedding that covers your plate? Or is all of that considered in the gift? Like if I was getting married and I had expected people in my life to make this huge financial obligation, I would be going out of my way to tell those people to say, hey, you do not have to give me a gift at all. Like what you've done for me is already so much. But I feel like I'm the outlier in that case. People don't usually say that. And I'm wondering if it's because they still expect to be getting a gift. What do you guys think? Let me know because I'm not sure what the etiquette is. And I just feel like when you're invited to be a part of someone's wedding party or you're close to the person's wedding as a family, the financial obligations can mount incredibly. And like, this is something that wouldn't have bothered me as much if I was like working and I didn't have a kid, but I have a lot more expenses now and I'm not working. So it is definitely something that's been on my mind even more. Um, I just personally hate people feeling obligated to do things for me monetarily or otherwise. Um, but I'm not sure what the culture is around weddings. Let me know because I really don't know exactly how to proceed. Probably I'll just end up giving a full gift to cover the cost of my plate and do whatever the right thing to do is here. But how would you approach this? Let me know. Also, another question on gift giving etiquette. What happens if you don't attend? Like if I don't attend a wedding or a big event of someone that's close to me, I usually send them a gift afterwards. But if I'm not attending a wedding of somebody that's not close to me, I usually just don't send them anything. Is that the right thing to do? What do you guys do? Let me know. But yeah, my overall verdict is that mandatory gifts, expectation for gifts, conditional gifts, all of these things are just, just tacky. They're just so tacky. Let's move on to the next story. Am I the a-hole for having a dry wedding and serving only water for drinks? Basically, my husband and I are getting married later this year. Each of our sides of the family are fairly big, so it will be around 100 to 150 people total. I love how that's a big family. That's like one side of our family, probably. <laughs> my husband and I are paying for all of this ourselves, as well as my grandma, who said she doesn't care one way or the other on this issue. She just loves weddings. We have a lot of kids in the family, so we decided against making it child-free, but we did decide to make it dry, so there will be no alcohol of any kind at our wedding. Honestly, this doesn't have anything to do with there being kids there, but due to the fact that my fiancé and I don't drink. Nothing against people who do, it's just not for us and we don't want to. On top of that, we only really drink water. We rarely, if ever, drink soda. So most of the time, it's only water with the occasional juice and milk. We don't even drink coffee. So obviously the food, which is a part of what my grandma's not paying for, is going to be expensive for that many people. 
We're having our wedding catered so everyone will have a good choice of food to choose from, but we'll only have water to drink. We don't want to have to pay for alcohol or soda. It's an added expense when we can just do filtered water for a much cheaper cost. Well, when family and friends found out about this, they got angry. Some didn't really care, but some are really upset about it, saying that I can just have an open bar so I don't have to pay for drinks. I mean, we could, but we still have to pay for the bartender and we just really don't want to bother with alcohol there. Or should we at least have soda? Because how could we expect everyone to drink only water? The kids will be upset. The wedding will be boring. That's not how weddings work, etc. So am I the a-hole? I didn't think this would be a problem. It's only water. I mean, don't most people drink water every day anyways? Should we pay the extra to have soda to make the family happy? This is actually kind of interesting because I don't think people attending a wedding should feel entitled to any sort of experience technically, right? And especially if you and your partner don't drink, I think it's perfectly reasonable to have a dry wedding. But that being said, when you're organizing any sort of event or any sort of thing where you are bringing people together, you have to think about the overall experience of the people that you are inviting because you're inviting them as a guest and you kind of have to treat them as a guest. And I think you just need to know your audience and make sure that you cater to them a little bit. Like I would almost say if there's a budgetary constraint, which is absolutely reasonable, there are some ways to go about it. Like if the catering is providing a bunch of different options, maybe cut down on one or two options and have some nice drinks available. Like it doesn't have to be alcoholic, but at least soda or juice. I think, I mean, honestly, even if I'm having people over to my house for like pizza on a Saturday afternoon, I'm making sure there's at least two different types of beverages available. I don't think it's too much to expect to have something to drink with your meal other than water when you're going to a wedding. And especially if you think about people attending weddings tend to give big gifts to cover the cost of their plate, like we just talked about. And I think that, you know, you kind of want to give them an experience that they'll be happy about. I don't think this person is the a-hole, but I think that this person needs to maybe reprioritize their budget and recognize that they're not planning an event for themselves, they're planning an event for everybody who's attending. So the overall verdict on this post is the a-hole. And if you look at the comments, yeah, people are very passionate about the fact that serving just water is just straight up offensive. And I don't disagree. I think you probably should have at least one other option for drinks. The top comment here has 77,000 votes. And it actually had some fun ideas if you're thinking of having a dry wedding. Um, it says, I've been to dry weddings. There was a couple that put real thought and effort into designing mocktails themed around their relationship. It was delightful and everyone connected to the couple through it. Another couple had sparkling cider tower in place of champagne. And everyone cheered with cider in flutes. See, I love these suggestions. Like there's so many ways to make it seem like a special festival and give people a really nice experience without having alcohol there. And I think these are some great ideas. Um, another comment has 31,000 votes. So this was a very popular post. It says, I hope that in 20 years, everyone is still saying, do you remember that wedding that we had to smuggle in a two liter of Pepsi? This is so funny. I've actually been to many dry weddings and I've even been to a couple of dry receptions. And I'm going to share an example of one of them because I feel like it just tells a really good story on why it's important to cater your wedding to the guests that you're having and not just to yourselves. So this wedding that I had attended, the wedding and the reception were both dry and it was because one of 
the parents was a part of a religious community. So there was a couple of people from a religious community in attendance, and that specific religious community were not for alcohol. And I don't even know if they knew that their kids drank to the extent that they drank or whatever. Um, but they made a choice to have a full reception without any alcohol. But here's the thing, that religious community attendance guest list was like a major minority. Most of the people in attendance to that reception were like people that were our age. And in that stage of our lives, we were all in our 20s. And I was never really a big drinker, but every other person there pretty much was. And what ended up happening was the groom at the wedding had actually encouraged their friends to say, hey, I know there's no alcohol at this wedding. I'm letting you know. But if you want to organize, you know, alcohol in the parking lot or like sneak something, you're welcome to do that. And that's totally illegal, first of all. They should have never done that. But it was the groom's way of saying, like, I totally get that I'm not catering this event to the audience. So let me know how I can pitch in for this car bar. What ended up happening? I was honestly so sad because when people plan an event for whatever it's worth, based on their own priorities, they've planned everything to the best of their ability, right? They had a beautiful decor set up. They had entertainment. People were dancing and performing and all of that stuff was happening. And there was one point I was sitting inside on the table and I think I was the only person under the age of 30 in that entire hall. Like everybody, every single person except for me, two people, the bride and the groom and their families were out at the car bar. Like there were more people in the parking lot than there were in the reception. And I feel like in cases like that, it's just so important to know your audience. And look, when you're getting married, I get maybe your parents are religious, maybe they don't agree with alcohol, but it's not their event. It's your event. And if that is the audience you're catering to, it almost makes sense to just do two events, have one with your parents and their friends, let it be dry, and then just organize an event by yourself for you and your friends and let people have a good time. I feel like what happens in general, right, is when we plan an event for other people, we're always planning it with our lens in mind. Like what I prioritize might not be what somebody else prioritizes. So I remember from my reception, I had very simple, basic decor because I wanted to prioritize our funds into like things like food and DJ because I wanted that part of the experience to be really fun for everybody who attended. But for some people who like the visuals, they might have attended the reception and said, this is so basic. Like they didn't spend any money at all because my priorities were different from them. But here's the thing. When you attend someone else's wedding, you just have to respect the fact that they have planned it based on their priorities, based on what makes them happy. And it's one night. And if you can't go for one night and just sit and enjoy the performances or whatever your friends have prioritized while they were planning their wedding, or like go one night without drinking alcohol, then I feel like it's almost a problem of the guests. And it's almost a communication issue. Like I almost feel like that friend should have just been like, hey, there's no alcohol. I hope you can manage for one night, but we've planned all of this great stuff and I hope you have a great time. Instead of almost enabling the fact that like, I know that you can't go a night without drinking, so let me make it easy for you at the cost of my wedding reception, right? To go back to the am I the a-hole story, I don't think that this person should only serve water. I think there should be some level of give and take, understanding who your audience is and making it a good experience for the people attending. But at the same time, I don't think the guests should also feel entitled to be like, why can't you have an open bar? I have to drink. It's one night and I can't go without drinking because it's like, it's one night for somebody else and that person doesn't drink. I think you'll be fine.
that's my take. But let me know what you think. Like, do you think it's acceptable to only serve water? And do you think that it would be entitled to even expect to get soda or juice? Or do you think that this person should just serve alcohol and, and cater to the audience? Let's move on to the next story. Am I the a-hole for telling my sister that she's acting like her life is a movie and to be practical in response to her marriage plans? We're Indian American, arranged marriages in our culture is common. I chose to get an arranged marriage to my husband, a doctor, and he's a wonderful man and a great life partner. My sister, D has been in a relationship with a guy, A. I'll admit, I've had my share of relationships before getting married, but none of them were serious, and I always knew that. D is generally a quiet, introverted person, so I was surprised when I heard about A. But then again, I thought it wasn't very serious. Now, D and A want to get married. A studied history, and he's a part of a doctorate program that requires two semesters, so almost a year on exchange with a school in Paris. D is staying here because she's been offered a good job position and she'll lose it if she leaves for a year. Their solution to this is that they get married before A leaves for Paris, and when he comes back, they'll continue as a family. Me and D were talking about this, and I told her I think that she should reconsider. She's had her fun with A, but if she wants to get married and live a stable life, she should be really choosing better. D replied that they can make it work, because apparently both of them are willing to sacrifice their career choices, but neither want the other two. I honestly think that this is BS, and I told her that she's acting like her life is some sort of movie instead of being practical, but that's her choice, so sure. She got mad at me for telling her that, and she's... And that she is being practical, but I'm too selfish to understand and that I'm not supportive. We haven't talked since then, and she was angry. My parents agree that D is being super dramatic. Am I the a-hole? Yeah, I think in this situation you are kind of the a-hole, because you're really shooting down your sister in what should be a happy moment. She has decided who she wants to get married to, and I'm sure she would love to have the support of her sister. Um, but I also think that the reason that the sister is shooting her sister down is because of the experience that she's had where she's literally been indoctrinated to think that her experience is the only right way. And I grew up in this culture too. In fact, I was a part of this arranged marriage market. So I know how much it was drilled into me from a very young age, way too young of an age to say, do what you want to do. But when you settle down, make sure it's to a good Tamil boy. Or when you settle down, make sure it's to someone who you know, bring something to the table and who has similar family values and someone who I've found for you. And it's been so drilled into us from a young age that it's almost hard to see how someone can have this fairy tale love marriage and still be happy. But here's something I've seen after, you know, now a decade almost of experiencing weddings of people in my community, people in my family, my friends. And that's that arranged marriages are not necessarily all that. And let me tell you my perspective on this. I think back in the day when arranged marriages worked a little better, people were not victims of globalization, if you will. They grew up in their community, they grew up with specific family values, and it made sense that their families helped them find other families who shared similar family values. So when you got married to someone, there was kind of an equal footing in terms of maybe the language you spoke, the food you ate what mattered to you, how you wanted to raise your kids, all of that stuff was already kind of aligned. I think what happens today is there is a little bit more flexibility I've noticed in the arranged marriage market. People are still meeting people with the intention of getting married. They're meeting through their parents or through websites like shadi.com. But there is a grace period. They're allowed a period where they can date. They usually have 
some sort of autonomy to say no if they don't like the person. So there's a little bit more getting to know the person involved, but there's a lot of pressure involved in arranged marriage as well because the families get involved and things move a lot quicker. And the thing is that today, I would say in a lot of cases, children, the people who are getting married, have very different mindsets and values and upbringing from their parents because they grew up in different parts of the world or they grew up in India in a completely different cultural way. Um, and they have a different outlook. They don't eat the same foods. They don't share the same values. And now, just because the parents share the same values and they force these kids together, it doesn't really mean it's going to work. And anecdotally, this is not science, but in our community, I've actually seen a lot more divorces in arranged marriages than I've seen in love marriages. And I think what this sister is doing to her sister, who's found somebody that she cares about and she's, you know, making these sacrifices and going out of her way to accommodate this person's one year in Paris and, you know, they're making it work. I think a part of the sister feels a little bit jealous because it's clear that she didn't get to explore her relationships or she didn't allow herself to explore the relationship she had before she met her doctor husband. It was all for fun and then she settled down. And I feel like this culture is even more prevalent in males where it's like, Men can do whatever they want and date around and whatever. But when it comes time to settling down, they want somebody that their mom's going to love, right? And it's like when you go through that and you're not mindful about what's happening, I think that you kind of build a little bit of resentment. And she's probably seeing this sister who she thought was quiet live this life that she didn't get to have. And I think especially in Desi families, and this person has actually admitted that they're Indian, um, in Indian families that I've noticed, is that there's a lot of pressure on the older kid to kind of keep the sanctity of the culture and the religion and all of those things intact. So in my case, I'm the oldest on one side of my family to like literally like up to third or fourth cousins. I have aunts who are younger than me. And on the other side, I'm almost one of the oldest as well. And it just puts so much pressure to you know, be the one who does the right thing and who sets the standard for the people below me. And I was told so many times of what a role model I am and that people look up to me. And I almost took that on as a responsibility. Like I get so much anxiety around failing and making mistakes and doing things that make me look bad in public because I've been told from a very young age that, you know, people look up to me and I have to behave in a certain way. And that pressure is almost exclusively put on the oldest daughter. I mean, I have a younger sister too, and I feel like she just had so many more freedoms than I had, and she got to like live her life in a very different way. So I think what the sister is really doing is she's probably held on to years of resentment, and to watch her little sister fall in love and you know be independent and live this life, it could be her projecting her own resentment onto her sister in some way. And it's probably something that she should reflect upon, you know, talk to her therapist about or whatever, because it's not healthy for her and it's not healthy for her sister. And I think that, especially if you think, if you truly believe that your sister is making a bad choice, I think what your sister probably needs at this time more than judgment is support. Because if you cared about your sister's long-term happiness and you think she's making a bad decision, you should want your sister to know that she can always count on you. Like you're there for her. You should not be, you know, making her feel worse about her relationship. So if something does go wrong, that she's not going to come to you for support and love. So yeah, I do think that in this case, the sister just did not react the right way. And I think that this whole thought process, like we need to 
be mindful about it and just shake it up because arranged marriage is not the greatest. It's a great option. I met my husband through the community. It works for a lot of different people, but there are a lot of other options out there and we should just be supportive of whatever decisions that adults choose to make with their adult life. Um, So the top comment here has 3,000 upvotes and a part of it says, you're the a-hole, do better. This guy is getting a PhD. How high are your standards? Does he have to be a doctor to be good enough? Are you just mad that she got to choose for herself? And the second top comment actually had an excerpt about this as well. It says, I find it pretty telling that you thought one of your husband's most important characteristics is that he's a doctor. I guess that's a big part of what constitutes him as a wonderful man to you. The rest of us need significantly more. And hint, hint, it has nothing to do with occupation and social status. I mean, like, I partially agree and disagree. I think having someone who's well-employed, who you can have stimulating conversations with, you know, financial stability, like, it's all really great. And it makes your life a lot easier as you go through life's other ups and downs if you're secure and stable. And I'm sure financially, this sister is very stable, this this with her husband, who's a medical doctor, like it's probably a great reason. Maybe it's not the doctor aspect, but that level of stability is, I think, a good reason to be happy with your partner. But yeah, I actually didn't even think about the fact that the number one thing that she said about her partner was that he was a doctor. And I think that people's worth and value should not be tied to their profession and it should not be tied to the money they bring to the table or the stability they bring to the table. It should be tied to their to their mindset, to their personality, to how they handle ups and downs, to how they react to stress. Like all of those things I think matter a lot more than what the person's profession is. But you know what? If the person is doing well, it makes life a lot easier. So like, you know, as somebody who's an artist, if this sister was stressed because their younger sister was dating and wanted to marry like a starving artist, I would actually understand that concern to some degree. Like obviously life has ups and downs and even the doctor might not make money down the line, but it is a lot harder to find stability as an artist. And it's something that the sister would have to be really aware of before going into that relationship that they might have to be the one who are providing that stability. Overall, I would say as an Indian, one who was raised in North America, but I'm sure this applies to Indians everywhere, that this mentality is just not the best. And I hope that as a community, and especially in our generation, that we can learn to be a little bit more open-minded and accepting so that our children don't have the same pressures that we had when it came to things like marriages. And the final story for today, am I the a-hole for not wanting to listen to my mother-in-law's speech at my wedding? So I hate speeches. I never understood the appeal. I think they're boring, exhausting, and very, very forced. But having said that, this is just my opinion, and I never force it on anyone. I have sat through long, excruciating speeches without complaining like any other decent human being. But when it was my turn to get married, I requested no speeches. We wrote that we loved everyone and we knew that they loved us, so if you wanted to say anything to us directly, say it in private. My husband thought it was funny, but he knew my feelings about speeches. We had a small wedding with only loved ones, a weekend long. My husband loved games, so the wedding planner did a really great taskmaster-type game, and everyone really appreciated it. Dinner came, and my mother-in-law stood up and started by saying, I know we're forbidden to make speeches by the bride, but this is my only son getting married, so I'm going to do what I want to do. I didn't hear the rest because I was seeing red. My sister and bridesmaids were shocked. I pretended like she wasn't talking and continued the conversation with my girls, and they did the same. 
My mother-in-law was furious. Both sister-in-laws were furious, and my husband was so angry that it showed in his profile. He refused to look at me. The rest of the night was awkward. My husband sat sulking in their seats. I wanted to make sure that it wasn't ruined for the rest of us, and we ended up having a blast. The next day I spent with my family and friends. The day after her wedding? Um, my husband said that I was very wrong in what I did, and I couldn't force mother-in-law to, to shut up. And he knew that she wouldn't, no matter how much we told her. I shouldn't have disrespected and humiliated her like this. Our marriage started on the wrong foot, it seems. Am I the a-hole? Okay, so in this case, I honestly just think everyone kind of sucks a little bit. First of all, let's start with the, the mother-in-law. The mother-in-law knew the boundary and went over the boundary and decided to do exactly what she wanted, which was just not cool. Like, it's not her event. And she started the speech knowing that no speeches were allowed. So she knew very clearly that the bride didn't want speeches. So when you stomp over someone's boundaries and they're upset about it, I don't think that you have the right to sulk about it and ruin somebody else's day. So I think that's one thing. Then let's move on to the husband. The husband said that he knew that he couldn't stop his mother from making a speech. So if he knew that, what I don't understand is why couldn't he either talk to his mother before and just set that boundary for his new wife, who is his family, or why he couldn't talk to his new wife before and just be like, hey, I know my mom is going to do this. And I've talked to her about making it one minute and it's really important to her. So I hope for that one minute, you can just like close your ears and move on. I feel like that would have been an absolutely reasonable request for the husband to make and something that he should have addressed before and not surprised his wife with at the wedding and then again been super shell-shocked about it. Now let's go on to this bride. First of all, I will say, as a fellow hothead, I totally get why the bride would react the way she did in that moment and why her friends would support her. I actually think that makes a lot of sense to me, even though I don't think it's the right thing to do. And the reason is that I have a really hard time setting boundaries. I have become so much better at it since my baby was born. And I also feel like people just give me a little bit more respect as a mother. Um, but up until that point, I've tried so hard to be non-confrontational and nice and just be like, hey, can you not do this? Or if you, if you don't mind, can you help me with this? Like, I wasn't even rude about setting the boundaries. Like, I would say right now I'm very cutthroat about setting my boundaries. But before I was trying so hard to be non-confrontational. And when I was going out of my way to be nice, when people would still walk all over me, it made me feel so small and frustrated and angry. And in that moment, I think the first thing that most people would do is they would show it in their face and they would try to block out the thing that's bothering them. And I think that's what this bride did. And I think it was not the right way to respond, but I think that it was a visceral reaction to something that she said clearly before. But that being said, there's a couple of things here that stood out to me. One thing is that she did mention that, you know, while the speech was going on, she noticed that her husband, the person that she was getting to, the person that she was getting married to, the other half of this wedding was sulking. And even then she couldn't bring herself to just, you know, smile and nod and listen to the speech. And then she went on to say that she had this great time at this wedding while her husband was upset and then spent the day after the wedding with her friends and her family. It almost sounds like this wedding was about her and not about them. When you're planning a wedding for yourself and for your partner, 
the happiness of you and your partner should be prioritized over all else. And I think this goes for any big event, but when you're planning an event, I think anyone should expect, even if you're like the best wedding planner in the world and you've hired a wedding coordinator and everything is going perfectly according to plan, that 80% of it will be exactly what you wanted. And there is going to be 20% that's just going to be fail. Maybe somebody got a little drunk and made a fool of themselves, or maybe there was an outfit mishap, or maybe things started late. Like things are never going to go exactly according to plan 100% of the time. But before you go into this event, and I am pretty good about this, is before I go into a big event, I always remind myself what the priorities are and what I want to be mindful about so that I can enjoy the event while I'm in it and I'm having fun and I focus on what's actually important. Like I haven't been married in a very long time, but recently I planned a first birthday party for my daughter and we did two big events with lots of family and friends and there were so many different pieces going on and before that event I was like the most important thing right now is to make sure that my daughter's happy and that I'm relaxed and I'm happy and no matter what happens and there were a couple of mishaps things don't go according to plan and I even like prepared some of them in my head like I know my family and I know my extended family so I was like okay if this happens this is how I'm going to react if that happens that's how I'm going to react I made a little flow chart in my head. So I was always prepared when things don't go exactly according to plan. And I feel like that's just such a great thing to do before you attend a wedding, especially because in terms of all the things that could have gone wrong at this intimate wedding, at this amazing games night, I feel like listening to one speech wasn't the worst of it. And the way that this bride would have probably come out on top would have been to listen to the speech, smile, laugh, move on, Maybe make a little petty statement after to be like, oh, you knew I didn't want to make a speech, but you made one anyways. And at the end of the day, it would have been the mother-in-law who kind of stepped out of line. I think the move here would have been to sit with the partner right after the event and say, hey, this was an amazing event, but your mother overstepped some boundaries. And I don't want to get into this pattern. So you need to have a conversation with your mother to let her know that it wasn't okay and that your wife isn't happy with that. And At that point, it would actually be on your partner, on your husband, on your family to support you in helping you set those boundaries. And to be honest, I don't think this husband was the right person to do it because he didn't even let his wife know that he knew that his mom was probably going to give a speech. So all in all, I think this was just kind of a messy situation when it didn't have to be one. And because of this visceral reaction on this bride's part, yeah, it did probably start her wedding off on the wrong foot. And I've done this to events where I've gotten really emotional and kind of like ruined an event per se. And I do feel for everyone involved, like a boundary is a boundary and it should be respected. There was just so many better ways for everyone in the situation to deal with that. And I think the bride kind of forgot that it wasn't just her event. So in my view, I think everyone sucks and everyone has a little bit of a-holery in them. Um, But some of the comments actually disagreed with me. So I'm going to share them just so you can see both perspectives. And I'd love to know where you sit on this. So the top comment actually says you are not the a-hole. Your husband has no backbone and worse, he didn't back you up. You have every right to have your wishes respected. Then your mother-in-law had the audacity to call you out. You're going to have a heck of a time setting boundaries with that one. Good luck. I agree that the boundaries are going to be really hard to set, especially if your husband doesn't have your back. So I do agree with that. Another comment says, everyone is talking about how you disrespected your mother-in-law and stooped to her level. However, at the same time, if you did nothing, it was going to show that she can continue to go against your wishes. She found out what happens when she does. For that reason, I will go with not the a-hole. 
A lifelong of being disrespected by your mother-in-law is not what anyone wants. Your mother-in-law refuses to show you respect at your wedding, so why should you? If she wants it, she's got to earn it. She should only get a basic level and now she has to earn more. I would tell your husband that you will apologize to his mom as long as his mom apologizes too. This is actually a good point and I do think that now that I've become a lot better at setting boundaries, the best way to ensure that these boundaries are enforced with people who are not used to boundaries is to be really clear on enforcing your boundaries every single time because especially initially, if you let boundaries slip and you let boundaries slide, people feel like they can walk over you and that your boundaries are not as meaningful as they actually are. I mean, in a sense, yeah, like the mom definitely played some power games and tried to do it in front of everybody so that she would get her way. And if she did, she would have won in a sense. She would have known that, you know, boundaries are great and they don't have to be respected. So I can totally see that perspective. I still personally don't think the wedding was the right place to do it and I think she kind of ruined it for her partner who whose wedding it also was and it's clear that he didn't mind the speeches so maybe there was a compromise that should have been made before or some communication that should have happened before the wedding I still don't think that any of this had to happen at the wedding so okay so there's an interesting perspective here from somebody who also has a mother-in-law from hell as they call it Um, but it says here If you had calmly communicated what you needed and how you were disrespected and how your husband can rectify it, ideally with things he can control, you would have had the upper hand. Instead, you chose to make a public scene and match their bad behavior and you put him in a triangulated conflict between you both. He will not win. You have entered into a very serious, very adult and very legally binding situation with someone. Unfortunately, many of us have mother-in-laws from hell, myself included. From now on, you must be very mature and very smart, not out of respect for family or elders, but because you have to learn how to best advance yourself and your interests. The petty side of me and the exhausted daughter-in-law is howling at how you and your friends handled it. I get it, but it was short-sighted and immature. You have a marriage that you have a marriage to tend to, and now you'll have to be very careful about how to handle these things. Divorce is expensive, and an unhappy marriage will ruin your life. I think this comment sums it up perfectly and I think that this person has to be a little bit smart and a little bit calculated going forward which is not a fun way to be in a wedding but I think that's just life and I think that's how you get ahead and that's how you kind of put yourself on top and live the life that you want to live if you're just a little bit strategic. I had so much fun with this episode. I mean I remember my wedding very fondly. It was so much fun like so much family came together I think I laughed more than I have ever laughed in my entire marriage, even in those couple of days that we were in India. Um, But weddings come with so much drama and so much resentment. And there are just so many unique family dynamics to navigate through. So I had a lot of fun with this episode. Let me know what you think about all of these stories. What do you think about my take? I would love to have a little bit of a discussion and we will see you next week with another episode of Masala Takes. See you then. Bye.